We're glad you're here this morning, especially if this is your very first time. Today we continue in our ongoing study of this individual called Nehemiah from the Old Testament. Nehemiah had received a calling from God to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, his city. They'd been broken down some 130 years prior to this when his people were taken into exile. It's a fascinating study, very encouraging to read, especially in leadership. It's a it's a study that you're going to look at again this week. Lord willing, if you go to your small group, then your group leader uses the small, uh, the small group study guides that we uh, provide for you that are sermon-based. Uh, you'll look at it again. You'll go even deeper. After what you've already looked at this morning, you'll go even deeper. So that's always a, a plus. And so I hope that's an encouraging to you. I know I use it for my group. I'm a men's group, and also we've used it for the life group. And uh, I hope you'll be encouraged to use this as well. Now, those of you who are new, um, you are actually joining with us on the third week of this journey through the book. And if you have your Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, or take the white Bible on the seat that's near you and turn to page 440. And if you don't have a Bible at home, you are welcome to take that one with you when you leave this morning. Now, we've covered chapters 1 to 3. Chapter 1 sets the stage for what God is doing in Nehemiah's heart and mind as he hears the news about his people, about his country, about his city and how it's languishing over the fact that invasions have taken place and then that they're without the wall. Things are not going well. The wall is in ruins. The city is in, is in, is in shambles and, and defenseless from, from others who might want to attack. So this moves him then to prayer and then to begin to make a decision and plan for one day, hopefully making his way back to help rebuild the walls around Jerusalem which was now some, seven, some 800 miles away. Because you see, Nehemiah was a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia in the city of Susa. So in chapter 2, the king grants him permission to return. And in chapter 3, you have a collection of names that we looked at a little bit last week as they went through all the building of the wall, the names of all the families. So in chapter 4, and really it's chapters 4 through 6, we're going to see opposition coming against Nehemiah and all the people who are trying to do the will of God, who are trying to do the right thing, building this wall. Now it's worth noting that you have two chapters of prayer and preparation for the work, getting everybody organized, and you have three chapters, three and a half chapters actually, of opposition. Now that's no coincidence. I think God has for us to see that attempting to do his will, you will experience opposition. When Igor Sikorsky was 12, his parents told him that competent authorities had already proven human flight impossible. And Igor went on to build the first helicopter. And in this American plant where he it was built these helicopters, he posted this sign and it said, quote, According to recognized aerotechnical tests, the bumblebee cannot fly because of the shape and weight of its body in relation to the total wing area. The bumblebee does not know this, so he goes ahead and he flies anyway. <laughs> Nehemiah would have loved that sign because Nehemiah, in his story, tells that whenever you try to accomplish something for God that's significant for him, you will face strong opposition. 
Satan never worries, never bothers with half-hearted Christians who are very content in their whole home Christian experience. And if you come to fire for Christ, however, look out. You come to faith in Christ, you will be opposed. The name Satan itself is a word that means adversary. Stand against, especially those who are zealous for God's name, for God's glory. So as long as you and I live with one foot in the world, living according to the world's values and the world's goals, Satan's not going to trouble with you and me. You can go to church. You can pray. You can probably even read your Bible. And he won't mind. But the minute you and I wake up from our spiritual sluggishness and we shake off this worldly mindset and we commit ourselves to radical obedience to Jesus Christ in your marriage, let's say, or, or in, in the home as a spiritual leader, Dad, let's say. Well, let's say at your workplace where you stand for the morals and integrity and the fairness for once, you will encounter spiritual opposition. So you decide we're going to stop messing around next week. We're going to go to church and go to church, not just because we feel like it. We're going to go to church. We're going to start making a commitment to go. We just go because we feel Now we're going to make a commitment to go. So we're going to commit ourselves to go to church next Sunday on time. So some of you are laughing already. I haven't even got to the punchline yet. So beginning of the Sunday, we're going to be there on time. We're going to check in early. We're going to have a cup of coffee in the foyer. We're going to get here before Daryl and the team even begins to sing. Simple, right? I mean, this is, this is not rock science, rocket science. This is not, you know, out of, the, out, of the, out of question. It's doable. It's not life and death, but you can sit there and you can almost predict what's going to happen next Sunday. Little Olivia is going to get sick in the middle of the night and keep everybody awake. Or, for the first time in a long time, you know, you, you get everybody in the car. Can't believe it. Got everybody in the car on time. We're going to get there on time, baby. And you come out and you... Dad forgot the car keys. Where did I put the car keys? And so you run back inside and say, Hey, dear, did you happen to see where I left the car keys? No. You seen them laying around? No, I haven't seen them. So what do you do? You go and you say, Well, what did she ask you? Well, what did you wear last night? Well, I wore those brown pants. Okay, find the brown pants. I can rush up to the closet. I check the... Notice it's me. I'm doing it now because I, like, I got a lot of practice at this. So I go up there to check all my pockets. I can't find the keys there. Well, what coat did you wear? Oh, I wore the blue coat. Blue coat. So I go to the hall closet and check the blue coat. Look for the blue coat. Can't find the blue coat. Then I find the blue coat and there's no keys in it. So, you know, and then you try to check the seat cushions because you know you sat there after you came home. Maybe it fell into the seat cushions. You ever gone through any of that? Sure you have. You know the stress, the tense, the tense you can get. Time is a wasting and for all the tea in China, you can't figure out where you left the keys. Late again. Or you say, oh man, it's so late. Why even go? Let's just go out for breakfast. Do you think the enemy cares when you determine to change your ways? to better honor God and grow closer to him. I do. 
and he will use anything against us to keep you from daily, heartfelt worship of him. Anything to get you to just go through the motions with no heart. We started our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're now on day seven. How's it going? How many bricks have you laid? Look, I don't want you to beat yourself up about it. I just want you to realize that there is a spiritual dimension to our life. And it is a battle. And when you and I decide not to give in, not to give up, but put our minds to battle back, stand firm, and oppose the worldly forces and of the enemy, that there will be opposition. But opposition can become God's means to greater blessing and deeper faith. To do spiritual battle demands spiritual means. And that drives us to God. So I want you to see that this morning as we, as we look to see that's true in the life of God's people in Nehemiah's day and in Nehemiah's life. We're going to look at that as they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and what this opposition did. And, when we, and as we do this, I want you to pay attention to the heart of Nehemiah, the leader. And if you lead, consider his determination. Consider, consider his um, resolve and where he kept his focus. So as I read this, I want you to read chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read really rapidly, but I'm going to try to keep your attention. Okay? <laughs> so when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry, very enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish, the burned ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, yeah, what they're building, if a fox goes up on it, it'll break down the stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they, were cap where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls in Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to, them, said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, 
your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and the other half with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail, or that's armor. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. And each of the builders with his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. So in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And so we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard to us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept a weapon in his right hand. There will always be opposition when we determine to obey God. The enemy will try to get you distracted, sidetracked, or to get you to give up completely. And even though it was God's will that that wall be rebuilt, he did not remove the opposition. And even though God calls you and me to grow strong in the faith and to labor for his advancement in the kingdom, God does not remove the opposition. And if we respond properly, the opposition will drive you to greater dependence upon God and greater determination to do what he has called you to do. Opposition can become God's means to greater blessing and deeper faith. Greater determination, greater dependence upon God. So how do we oppose the opposition? How do we oppose it? How do we stand against? The first defense against the enemy is, number one, be aware of the different kinds of opposition he uses. And the second is, learn how to properly respond by following Nehemiah's example. So let's look first. What is the arsenal? What does he have? What's he going to use against us? What does he have to discourage us, to get us off track from being fully devoted or committed to Jesus Christ? Well, let's begin reading with verse 1. It says, Now, when Sanballat, now he was the governor of Samaria, who was introduced to us earlier in the, in the book as an agitator and as an enemy of Israel. When he heard that they were building the wall, that the work was going well, that everything was, was being accomplished, and a start, good start to it all, what does he say? Oh, he was angry and greatly enraged. The Hebrew word means burning mad. He was burning mad. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said to the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, that means all of his posse, all of his, all of his people, all of his own people, his entourage, what are these feeble Jews doing? He's mocking them. Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Ha ha. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? Look at it. The burned ones at that, it's impossible. His first strategy is mocking and ridicule. In verse 3, Tobiah joins in as well. They're like schoolyard bullies offering threats. They surrounded Nehemiah and all the people, enemies on every side. Which is much the same way even today. 
If you ever traveled to Israel, as Kim and I had the privilege of doing back in the late 80s, you will see and you will be impressed with the, with the fact that this is a very small country. It's no bigger than New Jersey, you know, about the same size. And, and, and there's this tiny country with all these people, tiny nation, surrounded by all these nations that are threatening their very existence. When you take a stand for the Lord in the world, you'll face ridicule. You become a believer in Jesus Christ, and you let that be known. Eventually, you'll be known as a holy roller, and they will just wait for you to stumble, just wait for you to, to do something wrong in their minds so they can hoot about it. Now, we all knew you were no different than the rest of us. You Christians are all a bunch of hypocrites anyways. And you, you, you just prove it by what you just did. You ever heard that? The enemy has become even more aggressive. It's not just mocking and ridicule. It's threats and intimidation. Nehemiah's enemies had, had to be very careful. His enemies had to be very careful because they were working under Artaxerxes' permission. The Jews were there with, with, with the, the granted permission. And so those that hated the Jews... They had to be careful. They, they couldn't just rally their troops and march against the Jews or they would be charged with rebellion against the king. But they could use threats and violence. Look at verse 8. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Verse 11. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Sounds like terrorism, doesn't it? And this is what the enemies circulated among the Jews living near them in verse 12. It says, this is what they circulated. At the time of the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. Why? Because they were afraid. All the threats, all the intimidation. Small bands of terrorists could sneak up and they could pick off the Jews one at a time at the wall. And then, then, then Sanballat would just tell Artaxerxes, hey, you know, it was just a renegade group of guys. I had nothing to do with it. It was out of my control. And some like militant extremist Muslims even today, the threat of terrorist activity put the Jews under immense psychological pressure. And it was coming at Nehemiah and those who were building the wall. Hey, you better keep quiet about what you know about the boss's indiscretions or you'll get fired. You discipline your children the way it says in the Bible and the authorities will take them away from you. Kim and I were undergoing um, adoption for one of our boys when we had to submit to these home studies Social workers would come in and they'd ask you in the privacy of your home some very penetrating questions like why do you want to adopt and how are you going to discipline your children? It's none of your business. Oh no, it is our business. I didn't say that, but I couldn't say that because it is their business. So what do you say? Well, we told them the truth. Corporal punishment is the last resort. And we just hope and prayed that that would be okay. And it was. But I'll tell you what. That's pretty intimidating. 
strategy used by the enemy is discouragement and exhaustion. Ridicule, intimidation, discouragement and exhaustion. Verse 10, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we'll now be able to rebuild the wall. The people were wearing down at this point. All they could see was more and more rubble. The harder they worked, there's more rubble to go. You ever, you ever move? You ever pack the van? Man, you're, you start out, it's great. You know, loading that stuff in there. You get all that stuff in there. You look in the van. Man, we got a lot in there. You go back in the house, you go, oh, my goodness. We're all, we got too much stuff. We got to get another van. That's how they felt. They'd done all this work, and it just seemed they didn't put a dent into it. Satan knows that when the church has a new project, there's plenty of enthusiasm at the beginning. But pushing through that halfway point, that can be a bear. And the Christian life is much the same way. You first come to Christ, you are on fire for the Lord. You can't get enough of the Bible. Every time you read it, there's something more you can apply that very day. But somewhere along the way, you know, it wears off. And you begin to notice all the rubble in your life. Or all the rubble in the church. And it's not going away. And you begin to doubt. Those problems just don't seem to be going away. And you grow weary. You grow a little cold wondering if your efforts are really making any difference for the kingdom of God, and you're discouraged. But Satan isn't out of his tools yet. He's got one more. The fourth tool that we see here is negativism. Criticism and mockery, they come from without. Criticism comes, came from within. Negativism came from the Jews themselves who were living near the enemy. However, they weren't the ones that were rebuilding the wall. And that's important to note. Verse 12, look at verse 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, I mean, does that get old or what? You must return to us. Leave what you're doing. We're, we are going to get overcome. They're going to take us. They're receiving all this negative uh, uh, words, attacks, over and over again. And, and, and they weren't personally involved, however, in the work. And that's how it often is. You know, I got thinking as I was studying this passage that when it came to the uh, work and the restoration in Levittown, I mean, that was, a, that was a major undertaking for this church. And by God's grace, it, it happened. But I'll tell you, not everybody was on board at the very beginning. Or even as they got, you know, working through it for you know, two, two and a half years. There were people who said to me, I love it down. That, that's not a place for, to put this kind of a church. They're not going to respond to this kind of a church. They were people who were not involved personally in the work. But negativism breeds negativism. And pretty soon, you begin to wonder if you really can complete the work. And doubt sets in. And... And what you're doing for God, just you wonder if it's really making a difference. Whenever you serve God, you're going to catch flack. When you draw close to him, you're going to catch flack. Satan will oppose Christ's church corporately. He will oppose the Christian individually when you determine to obey. So how do we properly respond to opposition? This is what we're going to look at lastly, these four points. We respond with prayer. With work, vigilance, or staying alert, 
and focusing on the Lord. And Nehemiah is our example. Whenever you encounter opposition, we're talking about opposition from without. Whenever you incur opposition, you have several options. You, you can run from it. You can try to dodge it and go around it. You can try to compromise. Or you can meet it head on and you can work through it. And it seems in the scriptures, this last one seems to be the biblical way. Nehemiah's approach can be broken down into these four parts. Prayer, work, vigilance, and focus. Let's look at prayer. Too often we face opposition as our first response is to fight against it, you know, to hit back, to defend ourselves. But our first response ought to be prayer. How many times do we have to hear that before we begin to do it, you know? Jay. Nehemiah 4, verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Verse 9, and we prayed to our God. John Bunyan wisely observed, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. Prayer reminds us that, that God is sovereign. That, that the God knows what is happening and he is, he is over this and he understands and he knows who the attackers are and he's allowed it for a reason. And in prayer, I'm, I submit myself to his sovereign hand and acknowledge my trust in him even during the opposition because we are called to trust in the Lord with all your heart, aren't we? There's prayer, there's work. Verse 6, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together, half its height. Verse 6, for the people had a mind to work. They just kept building the wall. They just kept building the wall, and pretty soon the enemy's outside looking up instead of directly across the rumble, the rubble. It's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to get distracted. But we are all called to work. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but also now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work, for his, for his God who, who is work in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's work, and God calls us to work out our salvation. He doesn't tell us to work for our salvation. That's a free gift by grace through faith. But the work to stand against the enemy, to staying true, to staying on course, to staying away from the distractions. It is work to keep our hearts soft before God, to keep us tender and workable and sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. That's work. There's a, there's a story of a fellow who, who was always testifying. Every time he got up in the public, he always testified, I'm going down this road, and uh, I go down the road, and I meet the devil, and he starts attacking me. And uh, he said, every time they met, and so this guy, this one, this other guy, heard about this fellow going on the same road. He thought, what road is that? And so he started going down that same road. He started going down the same road. He got so tired of hearing about that guy down the road meeting the devil, he finally said, you know, 
I've been going down that road for, for 10 days now, and I haven't seen the devil. And the fellow said, maybe you're going in the same direction. Maybe you're going in the same direction. It doesn't take work to run with the devil. It takes work to oppose him. And that's what we're called to do. Third way we respond to the enemy is we pray, we work, and we stay alert. We stay vigilant. We stay on guard. Nehemiah prayed. He worked tirelessly, and he also set up a guard. Does this sound familiar? Trust God and keep the powder dry. You know? Trust God and pray. Pray is not a magic cure. Pray, in this case, actually upped the ante, upped the threats and attacked against them. Prayer just means that you're putting your trust in the right place, but you don't ignore the threats. Nehemiah was vigilant, and he armed his workers, and he posted guards around the clock. He established a warning system with a trumpet. He didn't take off, they didn't take off their clothes at night. They kept them on so that they could defend the city. And if a report came to us during this hour, let's say, we're sitting in here and we hear there's a roaring lion that was, got loose and it's on Stoopville Road right now. Would you sort of casually walk out to your car when it's time to go and leave, go home? I don't think so. Would you just let your kids you know, you know, run about outside if that was the case? I don't think so. You would take the necessary precautions. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Girls is a hot show, so I'm told, on HBO. It speaks of today's culture. I've never seen it. And I hope that you never do either. Because it exemplifies exactly what we're talking about right here that we are to oppose and stand against. Rolling Stone magazine interviewed Lena Dunham. She, acts as, she is an actress in the show, but she also is a writer for the show. Listen to what she said about her own self personally, and no doubt comes out in the show and in her writing. She says this, quote, Some of my anxieties might be solved by a better awareness of what's actually befalling this planet and what makes everything run and, and what's come before us. But it overwhelms me too much. It makes me want to take a nap. And in that respect, I really relate to people of my generation. Unquote. She goes on to say, quote, I really would probably benefit from that, and others around me would, but it's just too much. I'm going to take a nap. Unquote. That mindset, day in and day out, in ca on cable, on our iPod, spe speaking to the hearts of young people, our young people every day is so counter to what God calls us to today. And staying vigilant and staying alert and being on guard, aware of the schemes of the enemy. Because there is a spiritual battle going on for the souls of men. 
and for little children too, from whom God has given you stewardship as a parent, as a guardian. And it's time to wake up. It's time to stay alert. Instead of just letting them and yourselves lollygag in all this stuff of our culture. And start to make some provisions. Pray. Work. Stay alert. Finally, focus. Focus on the Lord. Nehemiah 4.14. Verse 14. And I looked and I arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great, who is awesome, and fight for your brothers, for your sons, and your daughters, and your wives, and your homes. The people were discouraged because they'd gotten their focus onto the enemy's threats and to the piles of rubble and the work that was left to do. And they grow discouraged and they grow, you know, begin to, what are we going to do? Nehemiah rightly directed their focus back to the Lord, who was great and awesome, and to the things that were at stake if they yielded to the enemy, namely their families. What would happen to them? Paul says in Colossians 3.2, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And when we're tempted to get sidetracked and distracted and and we already step over the line, we're just ready to step in, we're just ready to trespass, you better remember the devastating effects that it can have on your family. And that should cause you to keep your focus back on Christ. What am I doing? And you get God's perspective on your situation from godly counsel, from others whom you respect, who can help you just get your mind back on track again so you don't make that leap. Historian Will Duran observed, Rome remained great as long as, had, as, as long as she had enemies who forced her to unity, vision, and heroism. But when she had overcome all of her enemies, she flourished for a moment and then began to die. Opposition keeps us strong in the Lord. Opposition has its benefits when responded to properly to drive you to greater dependence upon the Lord and greater determination to do what he has called you to do. And if you're a leader like Nehemiah, you will rise to the occasion. But only by his power and his strength that works within us. Pray, work, be vigilant, and keep your focus on Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, there is so much in our world around us that grabs our attention, that lures us away, that causes us to fall. And we confess to you, Father, we have fallen. And we would ask, Lord, to forgive us and to set our feet up on solid ground again and keep us about doing your work and your business. Father, I, I pray for the elders of this church 
that they, Lord, would be the protectors of what is happening to us in our daily lives, and that they would pray for us, Lord, and keep us directed to you. May this church, Lord, be saved from the wiles of the, of the enemy. And may you put a hedge of protection around us, Father, like the walls around Jerusalem to keep the enemy at bay. And Father, may we rise to the occasion for what you have for this church's future. That we might become everything you want us to be as you raise up leaders, Lord, who are determined, as you've raised up leaders in this place who, who are focused on you. May you bless this church, O oh Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.